So I'm Robert Borba, I'm from London and I work with the Revolutionary Communist Party in the United States. So uh, there's been a lot of different uh, groups and organizations have converged here on G20. Why do you think it's important uh, that we still come here and demonstrate against this, uh, this global meeting of the, the top capitalists in the world? Well, you're right. First of all, they are the top capitalists in the world who've been doing incredible damage to the people of the world, ripping them off, dominating, propping up dictators all over the world, the Saudis, billions of dollars every year in arms trade with the Saudis, backing up those feudal sheiks and so on like that. But this is special times. Donald Trump is an American Hitler. He's got nukes, okay? And if you think of what it would have meant if the German people could have stopped Hitler in 1933 and 1934, instead of him going on to his regime, going on to do all everything it did, all the horrors it did, that's, we've got, this is an urgent time to, to, to come together, to take, not to do protests as usual, but to do protests beyond usual, to stop this guy, drive that regime out. When myself and uh, a comrade of yours were talking before, I was talking about the history of uh, these demonstrations. Indie Media itself was born from Seattle and the mass global yeah. anti-capitalist demonstrations there. Uh, in, in recent years, it seems there's been a, you know, a decline of uh, global anti-capitalist demonstrations. I mean, it's great to see so many people here now, but it still doesn't feel as though it has the same vibrancy. And if the times are as uh, dire as you're describing with someone like Trump or you know the, the, these kind of quite uh, sociopathic leaders in power, uh, you know, why do you feel like there, you know, what has happened for there not to be such mass mobilizations and also for there to be almost a watering down of these mobilizations and, you know, more like, oh, we need to just reform the United Nations, this kind of stuff, rather than genuine militant anti-capitalism that we saw in the late 90s and early 2000s. I was, I was at a number of them. I was at Rostock, Highlingen Dam. I was at Edinburgh and, and at Glen Eagles. Yeah. And, and so you're right, there is... The numbers aren't the same. But look, the struggle doesn't go in the same kind of way. Look at the outpouring of anger against Trump. When he, no president's election has ever been greeted with that kind of mass outpouring of rage and anger and determination to fight that regime and so on. So it's taking some different forms. But one thing I've been thinking about a lot here in Europe is there's I think there's been an effort on the part of the ruling classes in these countries to try to reassure people, you know, like Merkel, Merkel's in charge, she's not Trump, you know, and then in France, they did the, the French elite did a lot to sort of, okay, stop Marine Le Pen and the Front National and so on like that, and they put in Macron, and I think that's, they're trying to calm out some of that discontent. But nonetheless, these societies are being ripped apart. They're being polarized in unprecedented ways. And I think that's going to give rise to maybe unforeseeable outbursts and, and so on. It's like, you know, jolts in the system when something like Trump came out of nowhere. And he had a long history of all that Tea Party, right-wing Christian fascist type of stuff developing and brewing. But still, his victory was a little bit of a took people by surprise. Those kind of surprises are becoming the order of the day. In London, most people didn't see Brexit coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to sleep thinking, yeah, okay. <laughs> they woke up, the world had changed a little bit. And then they get angry, you know? And yeah, yeah, so yeah. now where does that anger go? Well, that's a, a really good point. I, I guess in, in London, uh, recent elections where Jeremy Corbyn, while not winning, certainly uh, got a, a huge amount of popular support. 
Um, a lot of people have said, you know, if Sanders ran against Trump, it would be a different story. But it seems often, you know, we're, we're sort of reduced to these, um, you know, parliamentary left Fabian sort of uh, socialist alternatives, uh, or it's the choice between Le Pen and Macron, like the neoliberal and the fascist, you know. Yeah. Um, do you think that, uh, you know, I guess looking specifically at UK or, you know, Sanders or Corbyn, do you think that these parliamentary alternatives are promising or do they more tend to, to distort and pervert our real genuine revolutionary movements in a sense? Well, well, I think sort of both things are true. They do reflect, I mean, look, I understand why people vote for Corbyn after seven years of the Tory party and David Cameron and the Eaton elite running Britain and so on like that, or why people vote for, say, you know, why they support Sanders or Mélenchon in France when they look at Marine Le Pen and the horrors that would represent. So I understand the sentiments that would drive people that. So I think it does reflect some polarization that people are going for that. But at the same time, that discontent, where is it going? People vote for Bernie Sanders. They take part in that electoral process. And what gets legitimated? Donald Trump comes out and says, hey, I won. Free and fair elections. You voted. So you got what, you know, the American people got what they voted for. And, and that's not what we need. The, the, the people who want genuine change have to break with that kind of parliamentary, gradualist thinking. I mean, we don't want to end up choosing between Goebbels and Goering. No, I mean, that, that's yeah. the, we don't want to go there. <laughs> you know? and, also, and also given that we're facing, you know, this global ecocide, you know, like, and, and climate change is, you know, a massive issue for a lot of people. It's really, you know, suddenly the kind of middle class white people of Europe are being like, oh shit, something's going to affect us and they yeah. care about it. But it seems uh, absurd that like when we're facing such things or like, you know, the ongoing uh, imperialist projects throughout the Middle East or whatever, um, you know, people are still caught into this trap of well, we just have to vote for the right person. As, uh, I guess, revolutionaries, you know, your organization's obviously agitating within Europe and America and the UK and elsewhere. Uh, you know, what, what role do we play within these broader, often more reformist movements? Is it just important to be here to try and win people over? Man, it's fun. It's fun talking with you because, but, but your questions, are, you raise a lot of stuff every question. So, okay, look, that thing about the middle class, okay. One of the things that's always kept down revolutionary potential, I'll speak for the United States, right, is you've got these black masses who are basically locked in in cities. It's almost like an open fence prison. You know, the, the cops keep them down. A lot of threat of violence is always imminent, okay? And so they rise up periodically. The Black Lives Matter thing, the fight against police murder and brutality. But they rise up and they look around and, hey, there's a lot of, there's a lot of white people out there and what are they doing and so on like that. But look what's happened now. We've had this upsurge against Trayvon Martin and all that, Michael Brown and all, all that, thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in the street protesting that. Now we've got lots and lots of those white middle class people taking over airports and stuff like that. Now, what if we could get something going, some some churning from below where we're, we're producing some kind of, hey, the white people look and see the, the, the black people are fighting the same enemy that they're fighting and going at the same system. And the blacks look around and say, hey, we got allies. Hey, man, we can breathe. We got a chance to maybe really make some fundamental change in this system. That, could, that, could, that kind of prospect, which could be brought into being, kick off, be brought into being by what they do to Trump sending federal cops into, into Chicago. I don't know if you know that, but it's like 
you know, it's a little bit of militarization of the way they're going to deal with the, the brothers and sisters in the ghetto. So, what's going to, how, what, how are they going to deal with that? How are the black people going to deal with that? This is, this is times when there's great dangers, but there's also, you can see some possibilities for an alignment that we haven't seen in the United States, for instance, in a long time. So we need to not be taking that and saying, wait for 2018, wait for 2020, then we can get Elizabeth Warren elected president or whatever, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's a trap, yeah, yeah. including because Trump can do all kinds of stuff between now and then. Now, if you had some kind of jihadist attack happen in America, some kind of nasty attack like that happen, what's he gonna do? He's gonna clamp down hard, you know. We need, to, we need to be moving at top speed and seizing on every opportunity and calling people to stand up in urgent times.